is Ed Stetzer, and this is Ed Stetzer Live, and we are live. I'm actually live from Oxford University, where I'm uh, teaching this, uh, I'm going to say fall, but they say autumn here, teaching this autumn and living in the UK. And so I usually introduce myself and say, I, you know, I work at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, which I'm on sabbatical from, and Wheaton College, which I'm on sabbatical from. So now I'm just going to say, um, teaching at Oxford and living here. As a matter of fact, Donna and I, it's, it's actually, uh, what is it, five o'clock here for us. Uh, so we, Don and I, just spent the day uh, going to the Museum of Natural History, and I know I recognize people in the West Coast are just waking up. And but the great thing is, uh, through the magic, uh, through the wonder, I should say, of technology, uh, the Moody Radio team actually has this portable unit that I'm actually able to take with me. And our team, as always, back in Chicago, is making all this happen. Matter of fact, Courtney Young is our engineer, Karen Hendren is our producer, and she's also working the phones today as well. So you definitely want to call her and say hi to. Karen. Karen, because she's the one who, you you'd call her up with a call, but you can also say, hey, Karen, I've got a suggestion for you for the show. I, she's probably going to like text me now and say, don't tell people to give, anyway. But uh, but we're so excited today. You know, it's this is uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, month, in which it's an interesting time to talk about pastor appreciation, because there's a lot of things going on in the world, and a lot of them have impacted pastors. Uh, for, for, for most pastors... Uh, we actually, um, this has been probably the most difficult couple of years of our ministry for, for most pastors. And certainly, uh, you know, I, this is what I do. I've actually just yesterday, I was with uh, pastors in a movement called Elam, which would be really connected to the Four Square Church in the United States. So uh, Pentecostal denomination uh, here in the UK. And everywhere I go, you know, I, I talk about, because I, I love pastors, I care about pastors. Everywhere I go, uh, pastors tell me this has been a remarkably difficult time. And this is kind of a little slew of books that have come out around this. And uh, and I mostly have conversations about these kinds of things uh, on my podcast. I have a podcast called the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, which is geared towards pastors and church leaders. And so there's new books on pastor resilience. There's new, because I mean, pastors are going through a hard time. This is a challenging time to lead. Uh, but I wanted to bring a friend of mine on the program today. And I was joking with him. I think, I think as we've had him on so many times recently, he's like a, he's a friend of the show, I guess we say he's a friend of the show, but uh, probably my most frequent guest as of late. Um, but he's got a, a brand new book, just came out a couple of weeks ago. If you're listening to this broadcast live just a couple of weeks ago, and, uh, and, and it's actually called Workers for Your Joy, which is, uh, I think, a fascinating, uh, fascinating title. And uh, we're going to kind of jump into that and walk through that. But let me tell you more about my guest today. His name is David Mathis. He's a senior teacher and executive editor at DesiringGod.org, which is where some of you might know his name if you engage some of the Desiring God resources, David's. You know, writer there has resources there. John Piper, writer there, resources there. Lots of other wonderful people, and he's the a pastor at Cities Church in Saint Paul, Minnesota, uh, and he's adjunct professor at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, and he's uh, also the author of Habits of Grace: Enjoying Jesus Through Your Spiritual Disciplines. We just had him on to talk about uh, a book, a book in and around the uh, Holy Holy Week and Easter and Lent. And so now we get to have him back and talk about uh, workers for your joy. I don't think there could be a better time to do it when a time when pastors, well, who are they? What are they doing? Where are they going? How can we encourage them? How can we partner with them? How can we hold them accountable? All of those things. David Mathis, welcome to Ed Stetzer Live. Uh, thank you, Ed. It's a joy to be talking with you again, your brother. 
Well, we, and we've, we've known each other for a long time, and I'm so thankful for you. And I thank you that you're leaning into some of these important conversations. And, you know, the, the new book is, uh, is Workers for Your Joy, The Call of Christ on Christian Leaders. That's the full title. It's by our friends at Crossway, which I think we both know where Crossway is located, Wheaton, Illinois. Just have to work in a Wheaton <laughs> reference, even though I'm living in the U.K. Um, so, so the Workers for Our Joy is, um, you know, look at some of these questions about pastoring, its nature, its calling and work. So let's just start there. What is the nature, calling, and work of local church leadership? And thank you, Ed. The uh, one thing to say about the the origin of the book is it it's not in response to COVID. So uh, it, it it's very much uh, more lengthy in its beginning. So I, this started right. back in 2012 in being assigned to do the eldership class at Bethlehem College and Seminary and try to pull together resources that would help. Uh, young guys who are studying uh, in seminary full-time and are wanting to be in the pastorate to be elders uh, someday. And so they are, uh, that's where the, the the course really began back 10 years ago. And it's been one thing after another, putting together various articles, various sermons, trying to treat some of the, the key texts in the New Testament uh, about eldership. And so those have come together over the years. And actually this book, I think it was planned before COVID happened. And then I had to submit this manuscript uh, during the year 2020 before a lot of the long tail of COVID was affecting ministers in a way that we could, uh, that we could monitor and, and, and respond to. So it, it's not a, a book that's mainly in response to COVID, though I hope it's, it's especially relevant perhaps all the more for being a, a longer-term vision and not being reactionary of the last few years. And so I, I, I do hope that that will be a, a help for pastors and for congregants that would read that it wouldn't only be, you know, now post-COVID, what do we do, and that there would be any kind of rush or hurry to putting together some new synthesis, but it would be a more timeless vision that's kind of come together over the last two over the last 10 years. The nature and calling of pastoral ministry. I like to think of pastoral ministry in the terms of uh, local teams of sober-minded teachers. <laughs> so let me, let me just unpack those four aspects of there. So there's a locality piece. There's a localness piece. When we talk about the local church, it is important that the pastors be among the people and the people be among the pastors, as Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 5. So there's a, a proximity pastors are first and foremost sheep. That is so important that our identity is first and foremost as those who are saved by Jesus, not first and foremost that we are pastors, we are under shepherds of him, but first and foremost Christians. Like Jesus says, Luke ten twenty, rejoice not that the demons are subject to you in my name. Rejoice not in your ministry, in your preaching, in your teaching, in your pastoring. Rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. So it's so important for pastors to be be grounded in their own identity as Christians, and that embedded in a local identity. So the nature of pastoral ministry in the New Testament is, is local. The apostles were not local. <laughs> they moved all over and helped all over, but, but, but pastor elders are local. So there's the local aspect. Then there's a plurality aspect. There's a team dynamic in pastoral ministry in the New Testament that's uh, hard to overlook. Just about every place we see where there's a mention of pastors, elders, overseers, it's, it's plural. So Jesus is the one who gets the singular glory of 
singular leadership in the New Testament as the the shepherd overseer of our souls. He's the chief shepherd. There's only one chief shepherd. And then under Jesus, there's plural apostles. Even the apostles were plural. And under the apostles, now we have the pastor teachers today who, who lead and care for God's local churches. And so there's a design for there to be teamwork among the pastors, that it not just be a lone wolf kind of occupation. So local team and then sober-minded is so important because uh, the the pastor elders are, whatever the polity is, entrusted with important leadership in the local church. We talk they're they're leaders, you know. However you get over, you can't get over, get past them being leaders, whether that's how much that that governance or rule or leadership happens in a various polity. They're leaders in the local church. That's important. They're making governance decisions. They're pooling collective wisdom. To they and pastors need to be sober minded. They need to be balanced level-headed, especially in times like we've gone through with COVID, where people are losing their heads and reactive and imbalanced. We need pastors who are balanced. And the final, the fourth aspect there, local teams of sober-minded teachers. You can't get get past it in the New Testament that pastors are teachers. And for the most part, in the local church, teachers become pastors. I mean, the nature of the faith is that it's a, a teaching movement from the beginning. Jesus was the consummate teacher. The apostles taught. Pastors are talked of as pastor teachers by Paul in Ephesians 4.11. Hebrews 13 says, remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. There's this congruence between those who teach often in the church and those who are the, the pastors. And so it's at the center of of the pastor's calling is the teaching of the flock, the feeding of the flock. You know, prominent in that shepherding metaphor is feeding the people. And so those would be before uh, flashpoints, I think, that are important to draw from the New Testament in our day. The locality piece, the plurality, team dynamic, the sober-mindedness for governance, and then the centrality of, of teaching God's Word, feeding the people from teaching God's Word in the local church. Yeah. And, and, and the uh, plurality piece may be the thing that um, we see less fr- frequently. I mean, we, we see it infrequently. And, and, and I, I think for, and I, gr- I agree with you, um, I, but I, we often think of the church having a pastor, not mm-hmm. having pastor elders. And I want to I wanna unpack that in, 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 in just a moment. And we also want to invite uh, folks to, to join us and uh, to call in for the program as well. Maybe you've got questions about pastors and leaders. We're going to also talk some about, uh, well, engaging, uh, engaging your pastor, what it might mean to be an encouragement to your pastor in this time and more. So I want to encourage you uh, to continue to stay with us. We're going to continue our conversation with David Mathis here on Ed Setzer Live as we're talking about his book, workers for your joy and we'll talk about the role of pastors and well how we can pray for and encourage them as well stay with us we'll continue just a moment politics brings more division than ever and social media is moving many to be less social and more critical those with christian views are also often being dismissed well what if the rise of secularism though is good news for the church Throughout history, these times of decline traditionally precede powerful spiritual renewal, even revival. You need to read Mark Sayer's book, Reappearing Church, The Hopeful Renewal in the Rise of Our Post-Christian Culture. Get a copy of Reappearing Church today at moodypublishers.com. Hey, we're back, and we are here. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. It's also, well, hopefully a time before we get greater clarity 
on the role of pastors, our role as uh, members of the church family, all of those things. The book we're talking about is Workers for Your Joy, The Call of Christ on Christian Leaders. And David Mathis is our guest. David's actually a pastor, among other things. I love how this was birthed out of the training resources. You were training pastor elders there at, uh, at, at Bethlehem. And so thankful for this, I, I know, an investment you have made in uh, many pastors and church leaders. So let's come back to the, oh, let me also invite our callers as well, because you're probably going to have questions and maybe want to call up. And I would also invite you to maybe you got an exhorting word. You want to say, hey, you know, this is how I've seen my pastor lead, how I've seen my pastor uh, engage well, um, how I've seen my pastor be faithful and fruitful in gospel ministry. Love that too. 877, your questions, your comments, 877 548 Now, David, you talked about several things, locality. Um, I want to talk about the mutuality one. Because, um, you know, I mean, we go through all these in a sense. Locality, what does that mean in multi-site? We could talk about locality. Mm. What does that mean when someone's watch, watching online instead of being in proximate physical community? There's so many things we could talk about. Oh, yeah. But probably the one that, of the ones you listed, that maybe um, are, are most unfamiliar to a lot of maybe our listeners is the idea that there's not a pastor, but there are pastor elders. Talk to us a little bit about how you lay that out in the book and why you think that matters. You know, Ed, I can both speak from experience here growing up as well as interacting with guys here over the last decade who are aspiring to pastoral ministry. You know, many of us, I think, in the current generation, current rising generation of millennials or whoever, uh, grow out of vision that was perhaps even stronger among the baby boomers. And uh, that we may grow up with the sense of the church has the pastor, you know, the preacher, you know, it's, it's his church. Like uh, we talk about the various preachers around town, you know, that's Ed's church, you know, that's Bob's church, you know, that's Dave's church. And so there sometimes for guys who are coming into the ministry, that is woven into their sense of calling. You know, as they aspire to the ministry, they're thinking that they're going to be the guy who preaches every Sunday except for a few weeks of vacation, and that everyone looks to them as the pastor or the senior pastor. You know, there may be a staff underneath them, but they kind of, you know, sit in some ways as a kind of preaching CEO uh, of that local church. And so guys often come into seminary to study uh, they have that conception. Now, that's the conception of what they're training for and getting and getting ready for. And there are various ways in which there are team realities in in many local churches. Often, churches that are large and have you know the singular senior preaching pastor do have multiple pastors on staff. There may be some more functional collegiality and parity and teamwork uh, that's going on than than many realize. So there's, there's all, all sorts of different manifestations of plurality in the local church. I think we should, we should be careful that in spotting how prevalent teamwork is from the apostles down to the local churches, that we don't bring our own notions of what teamwork has to be. If we have a very egalitarian or very democratic uh, perspective on teamwork, that, that may or may not be the case. Uh, some teams function with various aspects and strengths, actually typically 
teams function with a chief among equals and with various uh, abilities and giftings and strengths so that the team is complementing each other, not just that the team is all doing exactly the same things. If we parse out every single role and divide up all the teaching opportunities, all the pastoral care situations equally among, among all the people, that, that's probably not what is going to be best for the team and for the congregation. And so how this gets worked out on the local church level is various, and it, it's going to be worked out through different strengths, uh, different, different aspects of wisdom coming to bear on that particular context. But it's, it's a uniform perspective across the New Testament that it's, it's teamwork in the ministry, and often our conceptions of the ministry are more singular, and there's even a more plural working out of it without it being intentional. And I think it can be all the more helpful to embrace the plurality perspective, that teamwork ministry perspective, and see how that would be manifest in a local church. If, if I can just say one thing Please. Uh, for rural pastors who find themselves, I mean, it's, it's one thing to be in a, a large mega church with many pastors on staff, and one guy is really kind of king of the hill. That's a different situation than a rural pastor where it's only him, and maybe maybe he's part-time, maybe he's full-time, maybe he's not even paid by the church at all, and he would love to have teammates, but he doesn't have them. He prays for them. He asks God for them. He, he would love to not be alone, and so in highlighting teamwork in the ministry, I do not mean to heap condemnation and guilt on rural pastors and small church situations where the minister would love to have a team, and he just doesn't. Now, God hasn't yet provided that, and there's things he can do. He can pray for it. He can disciple. There are ways to pursue that, uh, but the goal here is not to condemn him for the situation he's in, but to paint the New Testament vision of the beauty, of the joy, of the strength of ministering together as a team, and then aspire to that and try to take some tangible steps to move toward it. Okay, and and there seem to be, um, when, we, when we talk about some of these um, pastoral roles there there's there's been a i mean i think for a lot of people they would feel weary and wearied about the current uh state of church leadership um we've seen mm-hmm. too many things in the news we've seen too many too many things being uh, talked about and 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 flashed across the headlines i mean it's it's a pretty significant uh concern for many christians about the uh, character, and I, I think I want them to have this concern about the character of their leaders. Um, how does plurality uh, fit into that? I think I have some thoughts, but how, how does plurality mm. help us with that? And that is, that's a great question. That's so important, and that's a way in which, you're right, plurality really does intersect into our current situation. Uh, we have always had our rise and fall stories Uh, There have always been ministers who have sinned grievously and fleeced their flocks, but we now have avenues of communication and magnification of these stories, at least, uh, that makes them all the more prevalent. And you're right, that the accountability provided by plurality is very significant. There is both a kind of uh, tacit uh, accountability that comes just by knowing that you have peers in ministry. If If you can imagine... A, a well-meaning minister who is treated with special privilege. You know, he gets to kind of make the decisions he wants for the church. If he treats his church as kind of his little kingdom, he's a little mini king over his church, the danger for uh, small blessings and benefits becoming privileges, becoming 
ways to then make decisions around personal comforts and preferences, that little subtle degree change over time is very significant. And especially when a man's on his own, but when he has peers in ministry, when pastors have peers, it provides a kind of automatic accountability just because you know that there are other eyes who see what you do, who are sitting in the same or similar position, can feel the emotional significance of your decisions. And whether that decision is self-aggrandizing or self-promoting rather than for the good of the flock. And so there's both the explicit accountability. When somebody steps out of line and someone needs to, as a peer, uh, speak into their life and say, brother, that was a mistake. You, you need to repent of that. Do you see the sin in that? We need to have a correction here. There is the explicit correction that comes in accountability of a team, but also a, uh, a kind of subtle or uh, assumed accountability that is really powerful in keeping people on the right track in the course of faithful ministry. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think we see that um, when we see pastors speak into one another and, you know, for, I, you know, I'm part of a local church. I'm part of the teaching team of a local church. My pastor speaks into my life and I've spoken into my pastor's life. So I, I think, you know, having the plurality of leadership now, just so people are aware that doesn't necessarily mean co-pastors. We, 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 we see, uh, different ways to express that. I think when people hear plural, right. plurality, that they may think co-pastors because my pastor runs Appy at High Point Church. He's the lead pastor of our church, but we're, we have an accountable elder team that together hold one another accountable. And so there are different ways to express that. I think that's probably pretty important. And when we talk some about the character issues, we, we, we have to talk about qualification issues. And, mm. um, and, and again, let me let me invite our callers as well. We've got a few folks calling in, which is great. But our number is 877-548-3675. 877-548-3675. Um, so we actually have specific verses that most of us just sort of have, particularly two, maybe maybe three if you count uh, some Peter's writings. But um, but First Timothy three and Titus one. Could you briefly touch on um, what those are? And but then they're not just like rules or prerequisites, but these are necessities for, to carry out joyfully. Talk to us about the, those passages and what it means to to carry those out joyfully. Yeah, the, there it, it is remarkable that we have these two lists from the Apostle Paul. So you got one in First Timothy three, uh, in the context of a fairly established church in Ephesus, where Timothy is ministering as Paul's delegate, and then the other one is to Titus, where he's in Crete. It's much more of a fly-by-the-seat, church-planting situation. It's not as established as Ephesus. And yet, in those two different contexts, to two of his different apostolic delegates, it is remarkable the overlap of the lists. Uh, both lists include, to my count, 15 items. And most of those items have a either exact or near-exact correspondence between the two lists. And so we, we get a pretty good picture between those two of what kinds of things we're looking for uh, in, in church leaders, in particular than the, the teaching office or the lead office of the church. It's called variously pastor, elder, overseer in the New Testament. There's two clear offices in the New Testament. We see that in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Timothy 3, the, the overseer office and the deacon office. And the overseer office is often called elders or often call, are also called pastors in a couple places. And so you have the teaching office, the lead office, and the assisting office. 
And in those, there's a very, very clear portrait of what, what we're looking for in leaders. And <laughs> as, uh, as Don Carson at Trinity Seminary loves pointing out, this list is remarkable for being unremarkable. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's very basic Christian virtues in, in one sense. Uh, it, many things that you will find throughout the New Testament and throughout the Scriptures that are uh, we hope to be true of all Christians. So the list does not set up a, a group of super-Christians as if pastors comprise a, a, a different level of Christian that they need to be world-class in their oratory or in their executive skills. It's very basic things like self-controlled, sober-mindedness, not a drunk. <laughs> uh, and it, But what we want to see in the pastors is that the attributes and virtues of normal, healthy Christians are being exhibited as a group by the pastors. They are to be exemplary. So 1 Peter chapter 5 talks about the pastors being not domineering over those in their flock, but serving as examples. And what you get with the Titus list and the 1 Timothy 3 list is exemplary Christianity. The hope is that the pastor elders together will model, that they will showcase for the congregation normal, healthy Christian living. Now, there is, there's one attribute that's very important that's different between the pastor list and the deacon list, and that is, in, in particular, it's able to teach. Uh, in the Greek, didaktikos, which we don't really have a, a perfect equivalent in English. Um, one way you might translate it into English, if you made up a word, would be teachative. <laughs> if, if talkative means to be fond of or given to talking. Teachative means to be given to or fond of teaching. So teaching is very important in that pastoral office. Hey, hold that thought. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment with Dave Mathis. We're going to invite you, 877-548-3675. Again, 877-548-3675. Desert Live. We are talking to David Mathis. He's got a new book called Workers for Your Joy, The Call of Christ on Christian Leaders. And you may hear that and say, well, you know, I'm not a pastor. Should I listen to this? Well, yes. A couple of reasons why. First, um, we're going to talk some about how pastors lead and what does that mean for churches as they engage pastors in uh, in those roles that pastors are, are, are leading. Uh, we're going to talk some, well, it is Pastor Appreciation Month, so we're also giving the opportunity if you want to say something about your pastor uh, or you want to ask questions about these things, it's 877-548-3675. I'm out of the country, so I'm not actually sure. They don't do Pastor Appreciation Month in, well, at least here that I've heard of. So I, I like, is this Sunday? I think this Sunday might be Pastor Appreciation Sunday. I don't know. You can appreciate your pastor at any time. There's no reason that you need to have a specific Sunday. Again, 877-548-3675. I've got some calls online. I'm going to get to them in just a minute, but I want to ask uh, one more question from uh, David, and then we'll, we'll weigh in with your calls. i got a few more questions to ask later as well. David, you, 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 you indicate that Christ appoints leaders in the church, and a key theme is not as a burden, but as a blessing or a gift for his people. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I know the, uh, the there is a mood in our times, like a kind of collective cynicism, 
uh, about leadership in general, in, in particular any kind of you know a, a authorities that comes with that leadership, whether it relates to government officials or police or whatever the the context would be, and it comes into the church. I mean, their pastors are under a a mood or or particular you know criticisms of of skepticism of cynicism in in some ways uh in in in, re- in recent times that maybe have not been the case more recently and and perhaps in the 1950s and 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 a few generations ago it there was too much benefit of the doubt given to many uh, leaders perhaps that's the case and some of these stories of these rise and fall stories have disavowed us of you know the perfect untouchable leaders there can be some very good things in that and yet there is a a mood of questioning uh, leaders in our day and it's it's important to think to realize from Ephesians 4 that Christ gave leaders to his church he gave the apostles the evangelists the prophets and he says the pastor teachers you know Christ the risen Christ seated on heaven's throne who's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it he is the chief shepherd of the sheep and in overseeing his sheep and caring for his flock in the church, he gifts local congregations with pastors who would give their lives, give their time to understanding his word rightly and faithfully teaching it, feeding the flock through teaching and guarding the flock through uh, protecting the flock against false doctrines. And so pastors are a gift, even though in our current time, we may not think of leaders as gifts. We may think of them as obstacles or of those that we might want to tear down or find fault with. But the the New Testament perspective is these are gifts that the risen Christ is giving to his church for the good of his church, not in any way meaning that they're perfect, that they're beyond accountability or beyond criticism, but we should receive pastors as a gift to us in the local church. Yeah, and it's interesting because I, I think... Um, there's a lot of expectations placed on pastors. I think that's probably worth saying today that, Hmm. man, I wish my pastor could speak and preach like so-and-so on the radio. And, and, you know, here we are on Moody Radio. We've got some of the world's greatest preachers and teachers, but we're also deeply concerned uh, that people would be engaged and involved in local churches where able to teach is not the same thing as preaching with the oratory of the world's greatest preachers. So how do we help people to value the kind of teaching, preaching, relational leading that they're receiving from their pastor? Now, hopefully the the excesses of remoteness (laughs) that we have been through here in the last few years uh, would help us appreciate again real life proximity three dimensions in the same room seeing somebody not on a screen so there you know uh as we were developing in our technology and in society and we were more and more doing screens and having remote possibilities we got really thrust and pushed right into that during COVID. we went to the extreme you know people would complain about their zoom fatigue and uh, how much they had you know experienced the now the flip side of the remoteness, you know, and initially it brought all these fresh options and this fresh freedom to, to be remote and use the technology. But many of us have now experienced the extreme of that. And I hope that can be a, uh, with that, a fresh valuing of the local, the personal, the proximate, to actually be in a church context where you know the leadership, you, you know the pastors, you know other people who speak into your life. You benefit from uh, how they're living, how what they're doing, what they're learning, the comments they have to make about the Bible and about life. 
So hopefully there would be a renewed focus on the real life personal in our day, that we would, in a fresh way, be happy to get off our screens and into real life three-dimensional context. And maybe there would be a new appreciation for, for pastors to be in the same room with a man who has studied that passage of Scripture and he is bringing it to your particular church. It is not just a word for anybody who happens to live in the 21st century anywhere in the world, hmm. but he has brought a particular word from the Bible to a local congregation for that morning. And even though he's not one of the most gifted preachers in the world, he is a gift to that congregation. He knows that church personally, and he's bringing a word for that church. And you're right about the qualification, able to teach. With all of the elder qualifications, there is some relativity to them. These are not typically boxes to check. They are uh, gradients to be evaluated. These, these virtues happen on a spectrum. And able to teach is also that. You know, the, the demands that a church in a large, ci- large city might have, like a center city church, for the ability of its pastor is going to be far greater than a more rural, small church setting. And so we need to think through the ability to teach of our pastors relative to the congregation and the call that God's given them in a spe- specific location. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Okay, we're going to go to some calls, and we're really just encouraging people. They can engage on. Uh, I, I invited you to share if you want to share an exhorting, encouraging word about your pastor. Um, if you want to ask questions about pastoring and more, and so that's the first call we have. Let me remind people uh, that we, our number is eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five so we're going to go to ray in uh, beautiful newport beach california ray you're live on the air what's your question or your comment yeah hi i was just wondering what is uh your opinion on pastors uh nowadays with the midterms uh bringing up excuse me uh, politics um what i find here in southern california uh, christian radio more and more is uh uh, Christian commentators also are kind of going, uh, I guess they're getting into the kind of anger, bringing in personal anger or sarcasm, kind of going back and forth, Republican, Democrat, and they're both, you know, and and what Democrats stand for. And we, we're kind of, it seems like we're being pulled in with kind of sarcasm with a little attitude as we, we address uh, who we should vote for and, and abortion and things like that. But I, and then I also hear a lot of pastors on the pulpit, uh, basically, you know, talking about politics and, and and things like that. So I just wonder, what do you think? What do you think? Yeah, about that's a good question, Ray. And politics which, yeah, and, if, and, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, and if you hold on, Ray, I want to give you a copy. I want to give you a copy of uh, of David's book. So if you hold on, we'll give you a copy of Workers for Your Joy. My producer will jump on in just a second. So David, talk to us a little bit about that. What is the the role, the place of the pastor engaging uh, political issues or issues of our day? And and what would your advice be? It's a great question, Ray. I mean, it it is on the minds of Americans. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually in Canada right now on a trip. I was in Montreal last night. I'm in Ottawa now. And uh, it's been interesting to engage with Canadians here in French Canada about the various issue because the, the church uh, here in French Canada, at least, I don't get the impression that it's been nearly as politicized as the American church. We, we are living in an age of increasing politicization. 
that that's a reality. It's happening in public discourse. It's happening in the church. You know, issues that are writ large in the culture are going to come. They're going to seep through the walls of the church. You know, our people are living in the world throughout the throughout the week, and so those issues are going to come into the church. So we are dealing with a politicized age. But maybe one thing I could say, you know, a very complicated issue. There are so many things we could say. I mean, Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, his little bit. Caesar gets his little bit. And then he said, and render to God the things that are God. Everything. You are God. You know, so you are God's. So uh, that would be one thing to help us Christians kind of keep in proportion any rendering that we do to the governmental authorities that would eclipse the worship and devotion that we give to Jesus. But if we could keep it in the elder qualifications, one really clear thing that Paul wants of leaders in the church that we may be overlooked until we lived in a more politicized age is he says, not quarrelsome. Again and again, it, it's, a, it's a major theme in First and Second Timothy and Titus that to teach is one reality, to be quarrelsome is another. And you can't do both at the same time. Uh, those who are false teachers in Ephesus and in Crete, he says, are being quarrelsome. And he wants Timothy and Titus to avoid quarrelsomeness. And he wants them instead to be teachers with the kind of patience, uh, with the kind of illustrations it takes, uh, with, with the, a very different attitude of graciousness, of gentleness. That's not apart from correct, correction. He says that you correct your opponents with gentleness. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. So there is a whole different vision of at least the pastorate. And hopefully that that would go down into the church of those who are have a posture of being teachers and helping others along with patience rather than quarrelsomeness and pugilism. Yeah, and I think it's, it's interesting, too, because even in, in, in Ray's good question, he talked about um, what, talking about politics, but he also did mention abortion in the context of that. And I would take that out of a, though there are certainly political ramifications as a uh, Christian, I, you know, I articulated our thoughts and views on the overturn of Roe v. Wade, again, political dimensions, but also a clear moral issue. And part of the challenge is, is that people have different opinions on what that ultimately is. And so those opinions then, the pastor says too much or the pastor says too little. So I think Ray's question is really good, but there's a sense, and this is partly where the plurality of elders can come in as well. Right. Again, we're going to continue in just a moment, take your calls as well. we got one final segment. It's 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. We're talking to David Mathis about his new book, Workers for Your Joy, The Call of Christ on Christian Leaders. And when we get back, we're going to come back and talk about Hebrews 13, 17, Obey Your Leaders and submit to them. What does that mean? Uh, what does the rest of that passage matter? Do they, they watch over you once you give it count? Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. That will be of no benefit to you. 877-548-3675. Your calls in just a moment. Hey, we're back at Stetzer Live. I went a little long in that last segment, but I do want to get to some calls. But I'd ask the callers, keep your comments and questions brief, if you don't mind, so we can get a David time to respond. Sue from Tampa, Florida, you're live on the air with your question or your comment. Go ahead. My comment was, uh, and thank you for your program. Actually, I've never listened to it before. I just turned my radio off after uh, 
um, Michael Bedelnik's on, so I was really interested <laughs> in your program. But <laughs> I'll, I'll listen to it from now on. But anyways, I worked 30 years uh, outside the home, and I worked for uh, professor, professors at the University of Buffalo and professional accountants and pastors for years and police officers. And I found that people are all the same. We have the same hopes and dreams and fears and failures. We all want to be treated just as brothers and sisters. And because we all need Christ and we don't need to put our pastor on a pedestal. Um, and, and I, and I, uh, I, I, a couple of months ago, I bought, I didn't buy, I had a book that I knew my pastor would like that because I knew he knew the pastor who wrote it and it was signed by him. And uh, this pastor, the book, he, the book he wrote, he died, but he knew him. They were, it was a, it was a book on, um, the last sermon I would preach, and it was written by 30 different pastors from the Southern Baptist Convention. And sure. and it was, like I said, it was signed by the pastor. And he, you would have thought I gave him a million dollars. Oh, know, that's so great, though, that you're give, doing that. Give, yeah. give me give me this book, you know, like it's signed mm-hmm. by. And he was, the author was my pastor before I came yeah. to the church I'm in now. So, you know, yeah. it's little things that people, you know, really what pastors would appreciate. You know, it doesn't cost a lot. Good deal. Good, Sue. Great comment, by the way. Former Buffalo resident here, planted a church there, so thankful for the <laughs> Buffalo reference as well. So today on the line, I want to give you a copy of uh, David's book. I mean, there is a sense that uh, pastors can be put inappropriately on a pedestal, and then at the same time, there's a leadership role that's there. How do you balance those that's things right. out, David? Well, I think it's important that there's a there's a dynamic there of benefit from one party to the other. So at Hebrews 13 captures that so well. We'll go there in just a second. I mean, it, it, the best situation is when the pastor is, he's humble. He's not making decisions that would be to his own self-benefit, but he wants to empty himself. He wants to be humble. And then the people want to take good care of him. So it, the best, so for instance, in terms of pastor pay, it's best when the church wants to care for him as much or more than he would ask and he not need to ask for more for more money because that the uh, the church cares for him and then he's caring for the people and not focused on himself. So Hebrews 13 then says to obey your leaders and submit to them. This is great for pastoral appreciation month for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. I know we could get hung up on the obeying the leaders and submitting to them that obey doesn't quite have the same overlap as the the Greek word there, patho, which often means to persuade. You might actually read this text as be persuaded by your leaders and submit to them. Submit is still there. But submit happens in a relationship in which the leaders are leading into the people. The leaders aren't presuming on the people. The leaders want to win the people. They want to explain the Bible, teach the Bible. They want to persuade the people toward Christian obedience. And the people, for their part, they want to be taught. They want to be cared for by the leaders. They have a, a disposition to yield to such leadership. And those people know that the the elders are not in it for their own good. The pastors are not doing it to benefit self, but they're keeping watch over the souls of the church. And those pastors will give an account for that. That's that's the negative. That's the the warning in the passage is, pastors, you're going to give an account for how you cared for this people. Know that. Be aware of that. And that's accountability. <laughs> that's the ultimate accountability before the risen Christ, that it is a backstop in pastoral ministry. 
But often it's very easy to overlook that next statement of let them do this with joy. So Hebrews is talking to the church here. This is Pastor's Appreciation Month kind of language, right? To the church. Church, let your pastors do their work with joy as far as you can. If you can if you can give them some little tiny expression, you don't need to buy them a new car or write them a big check, but but as we just heard about from Tampa, a little expression of I love you, I appreciate you, thanks for being my pastor. You could pray for your pastor and let your pastor know that you pray for him. And if you want a particular text that you could pray for him, I'd recommend James 3.17. James 3.17, pray for him to be pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That'd be a great way to pray for him and let you know, let him know that you're praying for him like that. But then what Hebrews says is, not only do the people want to lean in and have their pastors be happy, but the reason that the people want their pastors to be happy and work with joy, not groaning, is that that's an advantage to the people. So this is like this is like a healthy marriage where the husband wants to do what he can for his wife to, to, to be genuinely happy, and the wife wants to do what she can for the husband to be genuinely happy. So that the pastors are workers for the joy of the church not thin momentary joy not just from having from being flattered but real deep enduring joy in Jesus Christ that will last forever and so the pastors want to teach their people the bible and they want to love them in such a way that the people would be happy in Jesus which glorifies Jesus and the people for their part to their own benefit they want their pastors to be happy no church wants groaning clergy. No church wants pastors that are complaining and miserable. That's not going to benefit the church. The church will be benefited in its health, in its growth, in its goodness and joy when the pastors also labor with joy for the joy of the church. And so that's why uh, in, in the title of the book, I picked up on that language from Paul in 2 Corinthians one twenty four, where he says to the Corinthians, We don't lord it over your faith. We don't presume privilege and power over you. We don't lord it over, but we work with you for your joy. That's a vision of the pastoral ministry, of working with joy for the joy of our people. Oh, such a good conversation. Such a helpful resource as well. By the way, we couldn't get to all of our calls. Jeff, Marvin, I see you there. If you'll hold on the line, we got a couple more copies of David's book to give to you, and we'll do that. Just hold them on. Our producer will get that to you. David Matthews, Mathis, thanks for joining me today. The book is Workers for Your Joy, The Call of Christ on Christian Leaders. To hear today's program again, as always, go to edstetzerlive.com. By the way, we actually listed David's just most recent appearance here on Ed Stetzer Live. Uh, you can connect with us as always on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at Ed Stetzer Live. Tune in next week. I'm going to talk to Tim Challies, a mutual friend of David and mine, about well, the sudden and devastating death of the son and how God used that season of sorrow to demonstrate his presence to him. Remind you that Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening. <laughs>